This morning we want to speak on the title and the subject of the absolute sovereignty of God. Notice what I said, the absolute sovereignty of God. I could have said the sovereignty of God and it wouldn't have changed him nor his word one iota. But it's the absolute sovereignty of God. And I place the word there on purpose because some, some Christians think that God is sovereign, absolutely. We agree, agree, they'll say. But some I have heard over the years saying, God's sovereign, absolutely, but only when I let him move. Then he's not sovereign. One preacher Um, he was from somewhere around the Caribbean. And quite a lot of years ago, I heard him preach and it caught my ear. And he said, God can only legally work in the earth through us. He said, God can only legally work through the earth or in the earth through us. Now, when I heard that, I just turned him off and never listened again. God is absolutely sovereign. Will you read one verse with me, please? Revelation chapter 4, beginning to read at verse 11. The very last verse of the chapter. Thou art worthy, O Lord, To receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now we have some journeying to go on this morning. But I sat down to write this during the week. And I've done a spell of a lot of hours. Usually I have something formulating in my head. I get the scripture, whether I'm praying or something happens, and I, I couldn't get away from hearing the sovereignty of God. And I sat down to write this. And I wrote for a good part of a day, and I had to go out. So I stopped it, and I came back the next day. And I wrote a lot that day. And then a third day, and I kept on writing. And I couldn't finish. To be honest, I'm still not finished. How do we exhaust when we speak about the sovereignty of God? It's just, it's inexhaustible. So the way I've written this, I'm going to look at different aspects of God's sovereignty. Going to look at it and you might say, well, how will that help me? If I say that God is sovereign, but how will that help me in my day and daily life? Well, we're going to look at God as sovereign, not just as the great and almighty God, the, uh, the one great eternal spirit that's revealed to us in Scripture. He's revealed to us as our Father. He's revealed to us then through the Son, and he's now revealed in the Spirit and the Word. And how do we 
apply such an almighty God to our lives. Well, here's a verse. I want you just to jot it down, read it when you go home, and keep it in memory. Keep it in memory. It's Isaiah 57 and verse 15. Isaiah 57 and verse 15 says, Thus saith, notice the high and lofty one which inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell, notice where he dwells, in the high and holy place. Oh, God is a way out there, and God, you don't know about my personal welfare. You don't know maybe about my personal problems and troubles and needs and struggles. And so what good is God away out there? See, that's the problem. Most Christians think he's just out there. Do you not know that he's in here too? He's in your heart. He's in your life. Notice he says, I dwell in the high and holy place. Now I underline this, with him also or with her also. I dwell with you. I'm in heaven, but I'm here with you. I'm in, I have come to meet with you, but I am in you. And we've met together as the temple, the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit. With him also. So you can underline that. You're in heaven, but you're with me. And only God can do that. With him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit. And the word contrite means the one's whose heart is crushed as though to powder. So he's with you. He's in you. He's the God of the heavens. He's in the heavens, but he's here and he's with you. Right even until you feel crushed. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble. This is why he's here this morning with you, to revive you. God wants to revive you in the faith. God wants to revive you in your spirit, in your mind. God wants to revive your heart. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones or to revive the heart that is broken. The heart that is broken. So, that's why when we look at the sovereignty, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to try and, it's going to be more like a study, but I'm going to try and see how the Spirit will lead me to apply the word to you this morning. For it's for every one of us. And once I started writing on the absolute sovereignty of God, and again, absolute because he is absolutely sovereign. And there are things that happen in our lives, things that happen in our families, in our homes. And there are things that, trouble us and try us and test us and even hurt us and really it breaks us. We can't understand why. And sometimes we have no answer why either. But here's how I get through, personally me. When I seem as if there is no help little hope or whatever. I do what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said about the sovereignty of God. Spurgeon says, when you go through a trial 
The sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. And maybe you're in a trial this past while, struggling. It could be whatever it is. I could list them all. This might be this and that and the other. But let the Lord speak to your heart. Let, let the Spirit speak. And those words of Spirit are so true. When you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow on which you lay your head. Lay your head on the sovereignty of God. And if you don't understand the sovereignty, the absolute sovereignty of God, then you're missing out on a great comfort and a mighty strength and something that will get you through your worst of times. God is not just in the heavens, but he's with you also, as we've read God is absolutely sovereign. And because he, we think of sovereignty as he's this big, massive, gigantic, almighty God in heaven looking down on us, we get the wrong idea. God is that and much more, but he's with you. And when you don't understand and you can't comprehend and you can't get the grips with things, um, no matter what it is, Lay your head, Christian, on the sovereignty of God. Let that be your pillow. What a pillow. If you're like me, I roll my pillow up for my neck and I roll it this way. My pillows are all shapes and I throw it across the room and I try and lie flat every night. But I come to a place in any part of my time, my walk with Christ, when I lay my head, as it were, as a pillow, the sovereignty of God. So God is not sovereign when you and I decide that he's sovereign. And he's not just sovereign when circumstances make way that he can be. God is sovereign all the time. All the time, throughout everything. So we're going to look at a lot of things. And bear with me today because there'll be more, well, we'll see. I'll say it'd be maybe more just to try and apply, but there's a lot in this. And if you can grasp this, this will be one wonderful pillow to lay your head. There's things we don't understand as human beings, as, as a pastor, there's things I can't comprehend. And I try to work my way through things and say, well, look, here's an example in the word to try and maybe comfort or to help. Notice, in our reading, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, we're going to break that down in a moment. And I'm going to read this like a bookend, where whether we do the sovereignty of God for two weeks or three or whatever, I'm maybe do it, read this part where I'm about to read again as the other bookend to finish off with. When we speak of the absolute sovereignty of God, we mean the absolute supremacy of God in all things. His absolute kingship and godhood, 
We declare his absolute sovereign power over all and that he is the Almighty. There is none like him, none beside him, none above him, and none shall come after him. He alone is God and he does as he will and he saves whom he will. He is the possessor of all power over all things in heaven and in earth whether it be natural or supernatural, physical or spiritual, temporal or eternal, so that none can defeat his counsels, thwart his purpose, and none can resist his will. It means he's absolutely sovereign. Absolutely. He sets up kingdoms. He overthrows empires. And he determines the course of dynasties as it pleases him. He spoke the worlds into being. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And he exercises his great power as he wills, when he wills, where he wills, and upon whom he wills. The absolute sovereignty of God is irresistible, it's infinite, and it is his divine right, notice it is his divine right to administer his power, to do his own pleasure in his own counsel and through his own wisdom. God is under no obligation to any. Don't say it again. God is under no obligation to any, and he is also under no obligation to anything outside, any law outside. He is under no obligation of anything that is outside of his will. He's under no obligation of anything against his own holy nature. And so we can say that God is a law unto himself. Oh, people say, if that's God, I don't want to be in his heaven. If that's the way God is, I don't want to be in his kingdom. Friend, I can tell you, if you think this was bad, what you have went through without him, guess what eternity will be like in hell? God is under no obligation to give an account of his ways, of his thoughts, of his actions, of his doings, or of his matter to anyone. When we speak of the absolute sovereignty of God, we mean he is absolutely sovereign. God is sovereign in creation. God is sovereign in administration. God is sovereign in salvation. God is sovereign in reprobation, and God is sovereign in operation. God, in his absolute sovereignty, created all things as he upholds and sustains, yet he holds the sparrow in flight. Think about it. The great I am, the eternal one, 
who created all things and upholds the universe that man is trying to find out by the power of his word. And you and I wonder, does God keep his word? If he doesn't, then the universe, as we call it, is finished. Crash and burn. Brothers and sisters, the sovereignty of God, he upholds it by his power of his word, but he also upholds every little sparrow in its flight. That's his sovereignty. That's in his sovereign will. And he also knows when the sparrow falls to the ground, either dead and also from branch to lower branch and back again. God in his sovereignty knows everything about the sparrow and everything about the creation he has created. He counts your steps. He counts your steps. Every step you took to come here this morning has been numbered. The very first time I walked, apparently I was a a bit of a lazy one who wouldn't walk. And my mum said to my dad, he was Ken as well, says, they called me Kenneth. He says, oh, Kenneth isn't walking. I'm concerned about him. My dad says, ah, he's all right. And he used to race pigeons. And he, was, he used to have pigeons in the house whenever the mommy didn't come, or the daddy didn't come back from the race. And he used to actually keep them in a box in our house and feed them in the house until they got big enough. And here was a pigeon, and he says, he lifted it up in the kitchen. He says, come on, son. And apparently I got up, and I walked over to the pigeon. From that moment when I got up, and I walked, to this moment now, as I walk up and down here, and our camera team every week says, especially my, especially my daughter on the cameras, Ellie would say, Dad, would you stand a piece? You're up and down and you're too fast and I can't get you on the cameras. Everyone has been counted and that's in the sovereignty of God. Everything. Right to this moment, to you and to I. To say this great sovereign God does not understand or know you, he is with you. He is within you. And he works on your behalf. He counts the steps you take. He numbers the hair on your head. Don't worry, brethren. You'll probably get it all back again at the changing of the body. He knows how many you had. Some are going to get more back than others. He numbers the hairs of your head. How intricate do you want them to be? Do you know the numbers of the hair in your head? (laughs) <laughs> who said yes who said that was that Ernie or, or Walter was it <laughs> well some of you it's easy to know the hers numbers the hers of your head I mean before they fell out <laughs> alright do you know the, the number of the hers <laughs> do you know the number of the hairs in your head before they fell out <laughs> or if they're still in your head either way he does you don't he does He does. 
He had symbolized that he puts our prayers into a bowl in the scripture. Every prayer that I've prayed, that you've prayed, that Ruth has prayed, we can go on. Paul and Wendy, we can go on, we can go on. Every single prayer, Billy, the whole lot. Every time in the thought you pray, I'm talking to him all the time. Driving my car, I talk to him. I'm in the shower, I talk to him. And he knows, and he is, as it were, placed it in a bowl. Gives the idea that he understands it all and he has it all. His thoughts are towards you and for you more than there is grains of sand on the seashore. They are innumerable. And here's the wonderful thing about it. He became one of us in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You ready? He became one of us. I want this to be caught in the heart. I want it to be heard and caught. He became the one we have been speaking about, the absolute sovereign of all things. He became one of us. And he was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. Even then we turned away before we knew him. And we turned our faces and did not want to know Christ. And people are still doing it today. They turn their faces from him. This absolute sovereign in flesh. And they took him. And they battered him and bruised him. And they beat him and bloodied him. And they nailed him to the tree. But here's the thing. It was all in the sovereign will and plan and purpose of God. Imagine that. It was his own sovereign will, plan and purpose, that Christ would die for us. since by faith I saw the stream thy flowing wounds supply redeeming love brother, sister, redeeming love redeeming love eh? the absolute sovereign of all things redeeming love has been my theme hope it's yours and shall be till I die until my breath leaves my body, I will know of redeeming love. So, Revelation 4 and verse 11 says, Thou art worthy. Now we understand, even just at this point, before we even bring everything else out, Thou art worthy, he says. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Notice, God's pleasure. God's pleasure is God's leisure, because he's sovereign. Ah, 
God has no choice. Many would say, God has no sovereign choice. Imagine one little finite, fickle human being looking into, as it were, and gazing upon eternity and the greatness of God and saying, God has no choice. God is absolutely sovereign over everything. Absolutely. In this chapter of Revelation 4, the 24 elders fall down before the Lord who is seated on the throne. And they worship him that liveth forever and ever. Something you and I can never attain on our own, to live forever and ever. Only God can do that. The very symbolic gesture here of the previous verse. Look at verse 10, please. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Notice, and cast their crowns before the throne. They cast their crowns before the throne. This crown is the Stephanos. It's its name, Stephanos. And as we go into this, we'll not get there today, we're going to look at the crown that Jesus wears changes. Speaks of a lot of things in the scripture. The Stephanos, they throw them down before the throne. The thought of this is, that these crowns thrown down reveals that none, notice, not one of them can boast. Not one will boast that they are there in the kingdom of God. There's no boasting of man. For God will not share his glory with a man or woman of flesh. And the idea here is they're throwing down these Stephanos. They were like a, more like a laurel wreath. And they were throwing them down. They were awarded the... These were come from people who were awarded at, for example, the Greek Games or the Roman Games. And they were awarded like at the Olympics where you get gold and silver and bronze. They were awarded these crowns. These are the Stephanos crowns. And here at the throne, when they see him in his full majesty... They take what they had worked at. They take what their achievement is. And that which represented, they take the crown, the Stephanus off, and they throw it before his throne. These can only achieve what God has enabled them to do. They can only achieve what God has enabled them to do. And likewise, brothers and sisters, in this life, and this walk, in this day and hour that we are living in as believers, we can only achieve that which God has given us and allows us and enables us to do. How fickle am I when I'm on a regular basis 
talking to the Lord, whether in closet or car. And my words are, Lord, help me to love you more. Help me to love you more. I don't say, Lord, will you love me more? He loves you and it hasn't changed. But help me to love you more because I, my love is oft times low, the hymn writer says. My joy still ebbs and flows, but peace with him remains the same. No change, Jehovah knows. And in everything we do, in all that we are, from our very salvation, throughout our walk with God, right until eternity, nothing is off you nor me. And that which we persevere to do, the perseverance of the saints, I told you before, is the preservation of the Holy Ghost in us. Everything is in his sovereignty. And I see men, going to tell you this right now, Jesus, do this right now. That's order of God to come down and do they realize who they're speaking to? Do they realize who they're speaking before? And friend, can I ask you, do you realize who you are living before if you're not saved? Do you realize who you're walking before? We've been speaking of him. This is the tip of the iceberg this morning. As I said, it's inexhaustible. I've been writing for three solid days. And what I have and keep going on like this, we could be here at this time next year. I'm not going to keep you that long. I don't mean in one go either. Can you, can you grasp it? Is the Spirit showing you? Can you get it into your spirit? Can you get it into your heart? That this pillow that we can rest our heads on in the sovereignty of God, that everything is from Him. Every single part of it. These Stephanos crowns are being thrown down. And even though God has been persevering in these men, these people to, in you and I, we will throw our crowns down. I know we love to sing. We sang it last week. When I get to heaven, I'm going to walk all around. I'm going to sit by my Savior and put on my crown. And, and that's, that's good. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But really, we should sing, we're going to sit by my Savior and throw down my crown. Symbolize that there's not one thing in you, brother, not one thing in you, sister, that you can do, nor you could have done, nor achieved to be saved. Nothing. Because we were dead. Like this. As dead as this is. We were dead as dead could be. And only the sovereign will of a sovereign God through the sovereignty of the Spirit, through the sovereign word, quickening our spirits to enter our hearts. That's the only way a man can be saved. Whether it's in a church setting, a home setting, whether it's at your workplace when you're speaking to them, or whether you're out in the street preaching, it doesn't matter where you are. A 
That's why when we're here, there's people will come and hear the word and leave just the way they came in. And I went to church tonight. Preaching out in the street and there's people walking by all day and nobody's taking notice. You're witnessing at work and you're trying to tell people of the love of God and it's like their fingers are in their ears. They're dead. And we'll look at it later in another time. And it takes the sovereign God to come in. What does it take to awaken the dead? It takes a move of God. And so they throw them down that though there's nothing in their own merit or achievement, they are worthy to be among the throng of heaven because Christ has made them worthy. Verse 11, thou art worthy. Notice, thou art worthy. It doesn't say, and it's not we are worthy. It's not I am worthy. Nor pointing to a saint or another creature to say they are worthy or he is worthy or she is worthy. No, their cry is, thou art worthy. And they throw down their crowns. You, Lord, and only you, Lord, excluding, excluding all others. Only Christ. Excluding all others and all else, they cry, Thou art worthy. Notice, not the angels of God, not the beasts around the throne, not the prophets or the patriarchs or the apostles, not the priests nor the kings of Israel, not the cherubim nor the seraphim, not the strong angel who cries throughout heaven and is in the heavenly throng. No, we cry, Thy Lord, you are worthy. You and you alone are worthy. You see, there's not one man or woman that's saved will get the glory in that day and say, well, Lord, I worked so hard and I am worthy. Not one will come and say, well, I went to that tent up there and, you know, I was there quite a few meetings and I feel I'm better now, I'm more worthy. There's no Archbishop of Canterbury. There's no Pope in Rome. There's no prophet, no priest, no pastor, no minister, no preacher of the gospel. Not one will say, I'm worthy to keep on their crying. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Jesus, you are worthy, and you alone, O Lord, to receive the glory. Will not be standing round my back in glory and round about me and clapping me in the back and saying, Ah, Ken, well done. We hear that. The only one that says, Well done is Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. Because the glory is Christ. Boy, at the time we'll have to wrap this up, and I only haven't finished page one yet. And of ten. Give me another five minutes. Here's the one who created all. For they say and sing in verse 11, Thou, for thou hast created all things. 
Only a sovereign God can do that. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 51, verses 15 and 16. He hath made the earth by his power. He established the world by his wisdom and hath stretched out the heaven by his understanding. When he uttereth his voice, there is a multitude of water in the heavens. Note that. When he uttereth his voice, there is a multitude of water in the heavens, and he causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings with rain, and bringeth forth the wind, or bringeth forth the wind out of his treasures. Hey, waters in heaven when he speaks sounds like many, many waters. Revelation one chapter chapter one verse fifteen. Do you know what it says? When John heard him, it says, and his voice was as the sound of many waters. You see, we can hear it in spirit now. The gospel and all the things about glory and the wonders of Christ, we can hear it in the spirit now. But like John, when we're caught up to behold it, it will become as though a reality, we will see him face to face. So in Revelation 4 and 10, he's the Lord on the throne. In Revelation 4 and 11, he's the creator of all things. In John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And then John says later, and the word was made flesh. The great creator became flesh. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came in the sovereign pleasure, the sovereign plan, and in the sovereign will of his Father to die for you. to die for you and to die for me. And so, to close this, thank you for your attention this morning. He is sovereign, meaning he is the ultimate overseer seer and authority, the supreme power over everyone and everything. Revelation 4 and 11 says, And for thy Pleasure. For thy pleasure. Would you say pleasure? pleasure. Would you say it louder, please? Pleasure. Say for thy pleasure. For thy pleasure. For his pleasure, not your pleasure, nor my pleasure. We think everything's about our pleasure. A lot of modern church, or whatever you want to call it today, it's all about my blessing, my pleasure, my like, my dislike. It's all about me. But the whole 
of heaven is centered round Christ. The whole of heaven is for his pleasure. And the whole of this fallen, rotten, creative world should be for his pleasure, but instead he is despised and rejected of men. What will he do? What will he do with you, friend, if you're not saved? What will he do with you if you're not for his pleasure serving? The word here, pleasure, is a word, thelema. This is the last mention of thelema, or pleasure, in Revelation 4 and 11. And here's what it means. What one wishes, what one wishes or has determined shall be done. And for what you wish or determined shall be done. So they are and were created. God spoke and that was it. No resistance. No resistance. God spoke the world and there was no resistance for it coming into being. God speaks the word to you, brother, sister, to me. Sometimes we resist. We wrestle. We fight and argue about it. Lord, don't, don't want to do that. He says, there's the word. It's my word. That's unchanging. God's not going to change that to suit you and me. Nor the word outside. The word philema needs looked at, so we'll do that, God willing, next week. Because we'll go into the book of Ephesians about how our salvation was for his pleasure. According to his will. May the Lord bless you this morning. And God bless his word to all of our hearts. For Jesus' name's sake. So, even tonight, today... Whatever's going on with you, lay your head on the pillow of God's sovereignty. Sometimes you don't like it, but the sovereign will is that I'm in control. I haven't let you go. I'm in charge. I'll say this and, I'll, and that's, we'll get the group up and we'll close. 20, oh, trying to count now, 25? Coming 25 years ago, when my mother passed away. Remember I had carrying her. Just put her into the back of the hearse. And as we broke off to go to our cars, I remember turning and there was a friend. He didn't mean any harm, this friend. But he stood in front of me. And he was unsaved, one of my old friends. 24 years ago, actually, it was. I'll never forget the way he said this, and it was strange because loss of a loved one, you break your heart if you love them, not it, if you've loved them. 
I remember I was almost walking into him and, oh, I'll not mention his name. And his words were, Ken, I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. And it was strange how he put it. He says, I'm sure this is bound to dent your faith. Well, it did. It tested it. It tried it. I wasn't that long a Christian. I was a pretty new Christian, and I was I had no friends. I had to leave them all. They were all in drinking drugs, so I had to leave. I didn't know what was next. This was 25 years ago or so. I was only going on for a while, and I was there and led my mum. Well, she led herself under my guidance to Christ. I remember when I looked at him, it shocked me. It went through me like a, it was like a knife. And I remember saying to him, his name, I says, yeah, all I know is that God knows better than I do. God knows better than I do. And I, must leave that with him and follow on after. I never forgot that. If I was me now looking back, would I change what I said? No. But I would understand more than what I said, but God would give me the ability to know that I could rest my head on the pillow of his sovereignty. And I knew she was saved And I'm looking forward to that, that day, when I see her again in glory. Are you saved? Just in case. Are you saved? Are you Christ's? Are you saved? This sovereign God died for you in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you saved? Do you have peace of heart and mind knowing you're his? And peace and heart of mind that when you lay your head in the pillow, should your breath not continue to work? All that's been going on, I've been hearing stories of breathing, struggling with virus. I was lying in bed, Alison would woke me up and she shook, shook me and she went, Ken, breathe. <laughs> I was just happy there dozing on. And if I'd have dozed on in, then I would have, <laughs> I'd have been in his presence. <laughs> breathe. But you know what? I had a peace. I had a peace. Peace of God which passeth all understanding. I know this is a bit late this morning. I'm dragging this out. But I feel the Spirit is ministering to hearts this morning. He's talking to people this morning. Having the peace of God. Peace I leave with you. My peace give I unto you. Not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid, Jesus said. And look, I'm not downing on the counsellors and doctors. We need them and all those sort of, that's fine. That's okay. 
But I can tell you one thing. When you have his peace, when you have his peace, it's not like the world. It's not even a medicated peace. It's the peace of God that passes all understanding. It's all in Christ. God bless us this morning. Team, would you come up, please? We'll sing a piece.